Thanks, Ben. Um, I'm going to sit down for tonight because I want to. <laughs> no, um, I just want to make it more more intimate, a little more casual. I know it's a, it's a, it's a huge building where, where, where you know, in, in different places and stuff. And um, I appreciate you guys sitting kind of close in this area. Can everyone see the screen over there? Great. Um, like Ben said, we are looking at um, the book of Proverbs and how to live a wise life. And um, we were thinking about what, what, uh, what's relevant for us today. Um, I, our stage in life, you know, I, we, we, we have this young adult group that's technically from ages of 18 through 30. I just passed out of my 30s, right? So, you know, I, I can teach you guys now technically, right? Um, but it doesn't work like that. It's, it's a lifelong process of learning. It's a lifelong process of humbling yourself before God and of seeking out wisdom. And the book of Proverbs is not just a book of tips and tricks, there are certainly very practical things that we can learn from there and that we can do from there. But it's not like a, um, like a Dr. Phil show or Oprah where you go in and he asks for advice, right, and they give it to you. It's so much more than that. If it were just a book of wisdom and of tips and tricks and practices to put in place of seven easy steps for this, ten uh, ways that you can think for this, then everyone could do it. And we'd be perfect, because we could just read it and apply it to our lives. And we all know that's not the case. Because how many times, even recently, have we lied? How many times have we said something we shouldn't have? How many times have we hurt someone's feelings or betrayed a friend and gossip behind their back? How often do we, uh, do we act foolishly and speak when we shouldn't? or let our emotions get the best of us, or spend money in a wrong way. If we were just to read this book and apply it to our lives, it should be an easy fix, right? But it's so much more than that. Uh, the conclusion of this book is really that we are not that wise. So we're going to be talking about wealth and poverty tonight. Sorry, Titus. We're going to be talking about, um, you know, the contrast of it. But as I was reading this last night, I came upon a verse, and I turned to my wife, and I was like, honey, I found my life verse. Surely I am too stupid to be a man. Uh, it's in the Bible. Look it up, okay? I can say the word stupid because it's in the Bible. And, you know, this kind of summarizes the book. This is towards the end, and um, they... That's actually Proverbs 30, verse 2. I apologize for that. I have it here. It's 30, verse, verse 2. Um, so, surely I'm too stupid to make a PowerPoint, okay? Um, that's what the author is saying here. It's a king writing to his son. And everyone's saying, even after all this wisdom, even after all these things, I've tried applying it to my life, but I, I just end up being foolish again and again and again. And it says, surely I'm too stupid to be a man. I have not the understanding of a man. I have not learned wisdom, nor have I knowledge of the Holy One. You see, because of sin, we can't fully understand wisdom. Because of sin, we have a separation between us and God. And because of sin, we don't see wisdom as it should be seen. When God created the earth and everything in it, it was perfect. 
it got distorted. It got messed up. There's a barrier of separation between us and God, between us and wisdom. And you see, wisdom is not tips and tricks. Wisdom is a person. Wisdom is Jesus Christ himself. In Proverbs chapter 8 with verse 22, it said, The Lord possessed me at the beginning of his work, the first of his acts of old. Ages ago, I was set up. And it's talking about wisdom. At the first, before the beginning of the earth, when there were no depths, I was brought forth. In verse 25, before the mountains had had shaped, before the hills, I was brought forth. So wisdom is saying I was there from the beginning. From the beginning, I was with God. Now, this is more than just a characteristic of God. In 1 Corinthians chapter 1, with verse 24, it says this, But to those who are called, both Jews and Greeks, Christ, the power of God, and the wisdom of God. See, Christ is the wisdom of God. Wisdom is God. Wisdom is Jesus Christ. It's personified in this book of Proverbs. But if you really want to know wisdom, you really have to know Jesus. If not, this book is nothing more than a New York Times bestseller of seven ways to make your life great now. That's all it is. And it will last temporarily. Wisdom is more than tips. Wisdom is a person. So because Jesus is wisdom, let's take a look at this book and see what it means to know the Lord and to know wisdom, to fear the Lord, which is the beginning of wisdom. Um, When we talk about money, we have to realize that God is the owner of all money. He is the owner of all the resources that we have. Uh, In in Psalms, it says that he is the owner of of the the thousand cattle, right? He is, is, um, in, in Deuteronomy 8 with verse 18, it says that, You shall remember the Lord your God, for it is he who gives you power to get wealth. It's him. It's his. It's not ours. When we talk about money and wealth, we can't think of it in natural terms. We have to think of it in supernatural terms because it is God's. It's not ours. We have to think of how God views wealth and how God views money. We are just like tenant farmers on God's land. We're here temporarily, we're stewards, we're managers, and one day we're going to be held responsible and accountable for the resources that God has given us. The parable that Jesus said when he calls the people back and, and, and the manager says, what have you done with what I've given you, with the talents I've given you? Have you invested them? Have you been wise? Or have you been foolish? And God's going to ask each and every one of us, what have you done with your talents, with your time, and with your money. God cares what we do with our money. It's God that makes the blessing. Proverbs 10, 22, the blessing of the Lord makes rich, and he adds no sorrow with it. So, let's look at a balanced view of money, because if you take a verse out of context, right, uh, you'll find that one verse says it's, it's, um, it's good to be not poor, but it's good to be uh, not attached to money. Another verse will say, those who are wealthy are favored by God. So where is that healthy middle? Where do we find ourselves? You see, money can be good. Uh, Money itself is not evil. Paul tells us in 1 Timothy 6.10 that 
it's the love of money that is the root of all kinds of evil. You see, money is neutral. Money is amoral. If I pull out, you know, a $100 bill, I don't have one on me, I wish, but I don't. But if I pull it out, it only, it's only worth $100 because we say it's worth $100. And if we say it's not, then it's really just a piece of paper. That's all it is. But we've all agreed that it means something. But money in itself is amoral. It can be good. Proverbs 8.21 says that um, granting an inheritance to those who love me and filling their treasuries. Proverbs shows that it's beneficial to have wealth. God gives the wealth to those who love and obey him, and they are happy in it because, as we read earlier, there is no sorrow in it. What God gives to us, we are meant to enjoy. What God bestows upon us and gives to us to be good stewards and managers, we are meant to enjoy. We are meant to be thankful, to be humble, and to enjoy it. Money can be good. It can make you friends. Now look, here's what it says. Hold on. Proverbs 14.20. The poor is disliked by even his neighbor, but the rich has many friends. Now listen, it's not saying necessarily this is right or wrong. It just is what it is. When you see someone win the lottery out in the news, and all of a sudden they get calls from second and third cousins and people from other countries like, hey, you remember me? And, you know, money brings people around you. That's just the reality of this world, and that's what it's saying. It's saying that, hey, if you have money, just be prepared. People are going to come out of the forest, okay? It's going to be people you've never heard of. Kumnaci, Verishor, di Romania. They're like, I didn't know I was from, you know. It's going to, that's what money does. If they hear, it's like, hey, I know he has some money. Let me give him a call, see if he can help me out. That's just the reality. That's how people are, and that's what Proverbs is saying. Um, money and wealth can help you survive calamities, things that happen. Proverbs 10.15 says, a rich man's wealth is his strong city. The poverty of their poor is their ruins. Having something that can be a buffer in those hard times. Money helps you provide for your family. 1 Timothy 5.18 says, If anyone does not provide for his relatives, and especially for members of his household, he has denied the faith and is worse than an unbeliever. God gives us money uh, when we're in our family setting as well to take care of one another and to provide for one another. Those with money can enjoy what God has given them as long as they're humble and thankful. In 1 Timothy 6, 17, Paul says this, as for the rich in this present age, notice, as for the rich. He doesn't say um, it's bad to be rich. He's saying, here's what I'm telling them. Charge them not to be haughty, which means not to be prideful, nor to set their hopes on the uncertainty of riches, but on God who richly provides us with everything to enjoy. That's very interesting because you'll get two extremes. You know, people who will say, well, it, it's not good to have money. It's not good to, to be wealthy. Therefore, I'm going to avoid it at all costs. And on the other end, you're saying, you know, I, I, I need as much money as I possibly can. And Paul here is saying, it doesn't matter what kind of money you have. It just matters if you're thankful for it and if you're humble. And if you realize that's God who gave it to you. He's not dismissing people who are wealthy. Here's what I've realized and what I've seen is that money just, just augments what's already inside of a person. Money just uh, brings out what's already there. And it's no wonder God said, if I can trust you with little, then I could trust you with much. 
Some people wonder why they don't have a lot more money. And God says, you can't handle it. Look at your budget. Look at your finances. You're making like, you know, 500 bucks a month and you're still spending way more or whatever, you know, or you're making this amount. Like God's saying, you're not being very wise with your money. But there's some people that, that I've met personally that are literally like millionaires, like with their assets together, millionaires, hundreds of thousands of dollars cash on hand. They drive around in a beat-up Toyota Camry, you know, have the same three shirts they wear over and over again, and they're fine with it. They're completely fine with it. We've all heard stories of those CEOs, right, that still drive the same car they drove when, um, like, from 30 years ago when they first started. And that's what it's saying here. They realize that, hey, money's not going to make me happy. I have it, but it's for a purpose. Money can be good. Money can also be dangerous. Money can put food on the table, but it can't put love on your table. Proverbs 15 with verse 17 says, better is a dinner of herbs where love is than a fattened ox with hatred on it. It's better to eat dinner at night and have nothing but burien and leaves and herbs, okay? But there's love and there's fellowship and there's community rather than you have a giant, you know, stack of barbecued ribs on there, right? Dry roast Texas style, amen? And it's just like, it's the best thing ever, but everyone at the table can't stand themselves and they can't be in the same room with each other. Money can be dangerous. Again, the love of money can lead to all kinds of sin. In 1 Timothy 6, 9, but those who desire to be rich fall into temptation, into a snare, into many senseless and harmful desires that plunge people into ruin and destruction. And like we read, for the love of money is a root of all kinds of evil. It is, um, it is through this craving that some have wandered. That's a very interesting word that Paul uses, craving. Money can be an addiction for some people. They chase after it like a drug. They just need that one more dollar, that one more dollar. They chase after it because they're chasing after something that they think brings them a high, just like a drug. It brings them satisfaction. And Paul's saying that can be very, very dangerous because money in and of itself means nothing. You can have barbecue ribs on your table, but if you don't have peace, if you don't have love, what do you really have? Wealth is limited because it's fleeting. When you set your eyes on it, it's gone. Proverbs 23, verse 4, 5 says, Do not toil to acquire wealth. Be discerning enough to desist. When your eyes light on it, it's gone. For suddenly it sprouts wings, flying like an eagle toward heaven. The greatest threat that money can pose is to have a believer trust in money rather than in God to have the believer trust in the blessing rather than the blessor. That's the greatest threat that money can bring. And even Jesus talked about the dangers of wealth. In Matthew 13, 22, um, he's saying, as for what was sown among the thorns, so he's using the parable of, of the, uh, the, the sower and the seeds, and he's saying those seeds that were sown among the thorns, this is the one who hears the word, but the cares of the world and the deceitfulness of riches choke the word, and it proves unfruitful. That's what money can be. It can be deceitful. It can lie, and it can make you chase after it. So, here's what's important. 
Godly wisdom is more important than wealth. Godly wisdom is more important than wealth. Proverbs 15, 16 says, Better is a little with the fear of the Lord than great treasure and trouble with it. Someone says that money can buy a house, but not a home. It can put food on the table, but not fellowship around it. Here's what we can do to, um, um, when we talk about money, there are three things I want to look at tonight. Um, How to acquire money, how to spend money, and how to save money. And we'll get through this next part um, fairly quickly, but I want us to focus on these three things because I want this to be something that is practical for all of us. Um, And for us to leave from here, being able to apply something like instantly. So, how to acquire money or how to acquire wealth. The first thing is work hard. Just work. Um, Ephesians 4.28 says, let the thief no longer steal, but rather let him labor, doing honest work with his own hands so that he may have something to share with anyone in need. So according to Paul, there's, there's three ways to make money. There's stealing, there's working for it, or there's asking for it. And the best thing that we could do is work for it because obviously we don't need to steal it and nobody likes to ask for money, right? I mean, that's, that's in an emergency, but we need to work for the money. And God's way for us to gain wealth is through obtaining a skill and working hard. Proverbs 10 with verse 4 and 5 says, A slack hand, I mean, just a hand is limp, right? Causes poverty, but the hand of the diligent makes rich. He who gathers in summer is a prudent son, but he who sleeps in harvest is a son to bring shame. Uh, There are certain people I've met that just don't like to work. They just don't. I wouldn't necessarily call them lazy. I would call them, you know, they're focused on like their dream job, right? They want to focus like just, I want to work on something that is going to bring me ultimate satisfaction and bring me ultimate, you know, wealth. And the reality is that that's good, you know, have a dream, but nothing is going to bring you ultimate satisfaction in a job, in a career. And that dream job might never come. So what are you going to do? Are you going to wait around until it comes? Uh, don't follow get-rich-quick schemes. I know there's a lot of them out there. Proverbs 28, 19 says, whoever works his land will have plenty of bread, but he who follows worthless pursuits will have plenty of poverty. And there's lots of these multi-level marketing schemes that exist today, or MLM schemes. You may have gotten a Facebook message from people that you haven't spoken to in like five years, that all of a sudden like, hey, how are you doing? I'm doing well. How are you? And they say, I'm doing fantastic. Listen, there's something that I'm doing that I think you're really going to love. And it's called whatever, some type of plants or a marketing program or some juices or knives or something. Um, I mean, <laughs> funny story, years ago, we, uh, when I was with my parents a long time ago, someone came to, um, to our house to sell knives through one of these, you know, multi-level marketing things, which is like a pyramid scheme. And, you know, they weren't a particularly good salesperson, um, but we bought them because we felt sorry for them because, like, man, they got dragged into this. Because how it works is, like, 
Someone says, hey, do you want to join this company? All you have to do is pay like $1,000 for training material, okay? And then you have to pay another $500 for these knives, and then you get to sell them. But the more people you get under you, you get like 10% of what they make. So the more people you have, the more you can make. And ultimately, it's all about like finding more people and bringing it up, and that's why it's called the pyramid scheme because it goes from the top down. And so... Uh, we bought it from this young, young, young person, uh, bless their heart, um, you know, it was very, very expensive knives. Um, I, was, I was almost in a part of this as, as well. Um, back in 2008, I joined this uh, company called um, U-First Financial. It's bankrupt now, you can Google it, I don't care. But I kind of got pulled into it, and the person said, um, and he was a nice person. I knew him, so that I, that's why I went into it. It was essentially selling, <laughs> selling like a software to people to help them pay off their mortgage faster. Okay, so here's what happened. Remember, this is 2008. So I bought into it, not too much, but I bought into it. I went to a lunch at Olive Garden. I went to a seminar at a Hyatt Hotel. I was ready to go. I even talked to a few people. And then, um, and then the market crashed, and everyone lost their house. And uh, the company just went under because no one had any mortgages left to pay. Uh, and it was, it was um, but you know what? Everything happens for a reason. I'm glad I got out because I probably would have spent more money in it, and it wouldn't have ended up well. So, uh, you know, it, there are no get-rich-quick schemes. Or there are, but they're not biblical, right? Because the idea is that you can be wealthy very quick, and then you don't have to do anything. And the Bible says that's not wise. While that might happen to a very small percentage of people who you know, bought Tesla stock 10 years ago and now they're millionaires, okay, that's rare. That's very, very rare. And the principle is work for your money. Work with integrity. Someone that has a strong desire to be rich will be tempted by sin. Proverbs 28 with 22 says, A stingy man hastens after wealth and does not know that poverty or that destruction will come upon him. So they put everything they have in the pursuit of wealth, not caring about what happens around them, not caring about who, who they trample around. I heard this from someone a long time ago, and it stuck in my mind ever since, when they were talking about careers and job and and wealth, and they said, Johnny, be relentless, but don't be ruthless. There's a big difference. Be relentless. Work hard. Put your nose to the grindstone. Stay late. Do what you have to do to provide, but don't be ruthless. Remember that you're working with people. Remember to not burn any bridges. Remember that the people that you trash talk now in the office or in the classroom or whatever, you might be working with years down the road. So don't be ruthless in what you do, because as he says here, Poverty will come upon you. Some might pursue wealth at the expense of everything around them. Money, I mean, sorry. Some might pursue money at the expense of their family, of rest, of worship, of being at church with their brothers and sisters in Christ. You know what happens? Sometimes you got to work on Sundays or a project comes up. I, I get it. Um, but some people pursue it so hard that they push aside everything else. 
many try to get rich by deceiving and defrauding others. Uh, what they used to do in, in, um, in the Old Testament was the merchants would have two sets of scales, one, one by which they would, they would sell and one by which they would buy. So they were rigged. One of them was different from the other. So when they were buying something, they would use a scale that is in their favor. And then we're selling something, they would change it to another scale, so it also be in their favor. So they would change the scales. And here's what Proverbs says in Proverbs 20, chapter 10. Unequal weights and unequal measures are both alike an abomination to the Lord. This is a big word, abomination. Um, you know, I, I, the word that's mostly associated with this, um, when we read through the Old Testament, you know, that uh, a man lying with another man is an, is an abomination before the Lord, right? So homosexuality and somebody like, man, that's a strong word. That's what's saying here as well. When you try to cheat someone else, that's also an abomination too. You can't, one's not greater than the other. It's an abomination before the Lord. Sin is sin. And taking advantage of those that are in a, in, in a lower spot than you or uh, in a not as privileged spot than you is an absolute abomination to the Lord. That's why we have to work with compassion. Proverbs twenty two sixteen says, whoever opposes the poor, I'm sorry, whoever oppresses the poor to increase his own wealth or gives to the rich will only come to poverty. So the Bible doesn't promote socialism, for example, but we should also be careful because wisdom also promotes um, or it speaks against kind of ruthless capitalism, Okay. So there are two extremes. We can't just pursue money at all costs because we have to do it with compassion. Don't take advantage of, of, of people that might be ignorant. Pay people fairly. For example, if you're selling something, if you're selling a car, don't, don't lie about what's wrong with it. Okay? If they ask you if it's had water damage, don't be like, oh, well, I mean, it's like rain. Like, I don't get what you mean, like water damage. Like, don't just... Don't, you know, shuffle your feet and put your hands in your pockets. Be honest, because even if you might get away with it then, God sees it. Remember, it says it's an abomination before God, defrauding someone. Likewise, when you go to a dealership, be careful when you sell your car, because the salesperson is going to try everything they can to make you think your car is just a piece of junk, right? A trick they do uh, is, you know, you bring your car in, and they'll look around it, and they'll be silent, and they'll wait for you to say something. So they'll look at something, and they might look in a certain area. They don't see anything. They're just looking at it silently. And then you hop in because you're nervous. Oh, yeah, well, that's a scratch right there. I know. I, 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 you know, the keys accidentally went over. I'm sorry. And they're like, oh, I didn't even notice that. Do a check. They walk around. And they wait for you to talk to say what's wrong with it, okay? Um, and I'm not dissing against salespeople. My dad was a salesperson for many, many years, uh, such an honest salesperson, I would say, that he sent people to other stores because they would try to, to lie to him and say, well, I can get this cheaper somewhere else. And he'd say, go. Go over there and buy it. I can't give you that price. Go buy it from somewhere else. So I'm not dissing against salespeople. I'm just, I'm just saying uh, be honest in your, in your deals, in your negotiations with people. Um, wealth must be pursued wisely and in fear of the Lord. Right. So spending money. First thing, give to God. Give to God. Proverbs 3, verse 9 and 10 says, Honor the Lord with your wealth. 
and with the first fruits of all your produce. Then your barns will be filled with plenty, and your vats will be bursting with wine. So I get this question a lot. Does a Christian have to tithe? Do, are we as Christians under a kind of law to give 10% of our wealth to our church or to God? Strictly speaking, no. Strictly speaking, no. The, the act of giving 10% of your first fruits of what you had was under the Mosaic law, meaning the law that was uh, observed by the Israelites, and they would give it to the temple. They would give it to the Levites, and the Levites would take it, and they would eat it too, right? So it was income for them. So strictly speaking, no, right? Uh, you, I, I can't say, no one can say that if you don't give 10% of your money to God that you're not saved or anything like that, right? Strictly speaking. But remember, Proverbs is a book of principles, of godly principles, and how to live a wise life. So let's think of it this way. Think of it in principle. We should be willing to give much more than 10% to God because it's not our money. It's His money. I say at least 10%. At least 10%. And then if God opens another door for you to help someone out or something else, give it there too. And then Malachi says, test me to see whether or not I will open up the storehouses and bless you. Meaning, that's the only part in the Bible where God says, if you give, watch what happens. See what happens. Remember, it's a principle. We're not up there, you know, wrinkling God's arm asking for more, more money or anything like that. But God says, just, just watch what happens. Watch what happens with the money that you hold on to so dear. So think of it in principle. Think of it in, in practice, okay? Um, it's, it's much easier to live off of 90% of your income than to spend throughout the month everything, or almost everything, and then see what you have left over to God. And to be honest, I feel like that's why a lot of people don't tithe, because they wait till the end of the month, like, I got no money left, I can't give to God. Well, pay God first, give to God first, and then live off 90% of your income. You can do it. I, I guarantee almost everyone here, and everyone that's hearing this, can do it. Pay God first, and then live with everything after. And then think of it Think of it practically, okay? Uh, the bills still have to be paid in this church. Practically speaking, right? We're here, we're enjoying it, but these lights, um, the, the, the electricity, everything in here, um, I'm not paid, so you don't have to worry about me, okay? But <laughs> um, practically speaking, we're here, we're members, we, we love this church, we love this community, and so we give and we say, hey, you know, we want to come here and uh, 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 worship and when we have the, the New Year's parties and the events over there, we want to give there too. And so practically speaking, you know, it's good to give. I had one time, Fratele uh, Jurovsky, years ago, um, you know, he would always turn off the lights and ask him, like, why always turn off the lights, like, all the time? And he's like, I calculated how much each light costs, like, per minute. And he told me the cost. And I forgot what it was, but this man took the time per kilowatt hour and then a minute. He's like, every church service is, like, $180 of electricity or something. I was like, oh, okay, well. And so that's why he always shut them off and <laughs> try to get us out of there. Um, so yeah, think of it in principle. We should give a lot more than 10%. In practice, pay God first. And then just the practicality of it. If you're a member of a church, you know, just give so the lights can be on and so people can uh, be in the church. Um, let me see if this next slide works. 
Give to others. So give to God, give to others. Proverbs 19.17 says, whoever is generous to the poor lends to the Lord, and he will repay them for his deed. He will repay him for his deed. Proverbs 19.17. God wants us to give to those in need. But Scripture also tells us that we should be careful about who we give to those in need because there's some people that the Bible says are lazy. And by giving to them, we might be enabling them. Proverbs 20, chapter 4 says, The sluggard does not plow in the autumn. He will seek at harvest and have nothing. So there are certain people out there, like I said, they don't want to work. They're always asking for money. At a certain point, you got to say, I'm not going to give you any more money until you get a job, right? Now, should we be like strict from the beginning? No. I say we think wisely. We act graciously. We see if they like truly need help, right? But we ask God for wisdom and we say, Lord, this person is asking. Um, and when you give, don't expect anything back, all right? Give it in the name of the Lord and give those 20 bucks for gas money and don't ever expect to see it back again. Because if you remind them like five years, like, hey, remember that 20 bucks you owe me? I promise you they're going to be like, oh, no, I paid you back, right? Like I bought, you know, McDonald's one time. I bought you a McChicken. Isn't that the same thing? So just give in the name of the Lord and, you know, let them, let them be on your way. Um, we are blessed in order to be a blessing to others. 2 Corinthians chapter 9, verse 10 and 11 says, um, or verse 11, you will be enriched in every way to be generous in every way. And that's really huge. That, that's a thing about money that a lot of people really don't realize, maybe until later in life, because you're so focused, and we're so focused on the accumulation of wealth for ourselves Paul is saying, you're enriched in every way, so you can be generous in every way. And that's when God sees if he can trust you with a little, if he gives you X amount of money, and he sends someone your way that needs money, that truly needs it, a family need. God wants to see, okay, are you going to give a little bit? He knows what we're going to do, but it's for ourselves. So we can form those disciplines of being generous. Give to God, give to others, give to yourself. Uh, in other words, control your expenditures. Live on a budget. Um, Proverbs 21 with verse 5 says, The plans of the diligent lead surely to abundance, but everyone who is hasty comes only to poverty. Scripture says basically that the, the fool runs out of money at the end of the month because they spent it on things they don't need versus on things that they actually need. They didn't spend it on necessities for themselves, you know, the rent, the mortgage. Um, it's, it's important, like I said before, um, to, to pay God, pay others, and then see what you truly need. And there are plenty of tools online to begin budgeting, plenty of tools. Um, we use a service called Mint, mint.com. And I love it. My wife is amazing at it. She actually kind of knows every dollar amount. She's smiling because she knows it's true. She's a lot smarter than I am. I went to school for accounting and finance, and she, she's so much smarter than me. Anyway, so, you know, it, it synchronizes with your bank account. It takes everything, and you set the budget, and then says how much money you have. Simple, refreshes, boom, we can't afford it. Okay, we'll wait till next month, right? Uh, another app called YNAB, Y-N-A-B. It just stands for You Need a Budget. Um, some other people use that as well, and they love it. And you don't need a steady income to, to start a budget. 
You don't need to have like a certain amount of dollars per month or get paid on the 15th and 30th to have a budget. Set goals for yourself, set expectations. Start now, start at this age. Uh, don't get manipulated by sales tactics and salespeople. Proverbs 14, 15 says, the simple believe everything, but the prudent gives thought to his steps. Um, again, when you, when you have to make these big decisions or budgeting decisions, talk with a trusted family member. Trust, uh, talk with a trusted friend. Um, and also in, in controlling our, our expenses, uh, stop trying to keep up with the Joneses. You know, to have the latest phone, the latest this, the latest clothing. Someone once said that a wise person refuses to spend money they don't have to buy things they don't need in order to impress people they don't even like. And that's the reality, unfortunately, of our nation, where we live in a conspicuous consumption um, a society where we buy things just so other people can see it. Let me see if this next one works. Okay, spending money, stay out of debt. Stay out of debt. I'll say it one more time. Stay out of debt. Proverbs 22, 7 says, The rich rules over the poor, and the borrower is the slave of the lender. You are a slave to who you owe money to. You owe what they've given to you, perhaps with interest as well. Scripture also says that you should pay off your obligations when you have the chance. Don't put it off. Don't hold off on it, but pay when you have the chance. So I've been asked this question um, quite often, and, and, and I've been thinking about it. But is it ever legitimate to borrow money? Because Scripture says, you know, if you borrow, you're like a slave to the lender. Should we ever borrow money? Well, most people can't afford a house, for example, without a mortgage. Um, it just simply costs too much. So then it's like, do we get a mortgage? Um, very interesting thing about the word mortgage. If you take the, the root words of it, mort and gedge, it actually means to be gedge. Uh, it means being pledged to something until death. You're engaged in something until you're mort. Even in Romanian, it makes sense. Să te angajezi până la moarte. A mortgage. It's a really long debt. It's a really heavy debt. And it should be taken upon very wisely. Because, yes, a home is an investment. It's an asset. So you could say, well, I spend it now, but in five years it will be worth more so I can sell it. Um, but, like, do you have the money up front to put a down payment? Do you have a job where you can put money into it, right? So, again, these are principles. It's not don't ever get in debt because it's a sin. What it's saying is it's a principle. Be wise in how you get into this kind of debt. Um, Student loans, you know, some people need them, but be sensible. Don't go to a school just because, because it has a good football program, all right? Um, I love Georgia Bulldogs as much as the next fan, but I, I couldn't afford it, so I didn't go. So be sensible in these kinds of things. Credit cards can be very, very, very dangerous. Again, I'm talking very practically here because this is something you could apply even tomorrow. Um, credit cards are designed to take advantages of our psychological tendencies to have things instantly. If you start a college, and maybe they don't do this anymore, but they did when I was in college, there were certain banks that had kiosks on there, and they opened up a credit card for you. And it's so interesting how, as a senior in high school, 
you couldn't like step outside the classroom without being truant and without getting sent to in-school suspension. And then two months later, hey, here's $500 credit card or whatever. Just have two or three of them, whatever. And so a lot of people just signed up for these things and just maxed them out like the first day. And then came the interest, which is a lot. There's a guy named Dave Ramsey. How many of you guys have heard of Dave Ramsey? No, okay, a few people, okay. Um, I like Dave Ramsey. I think he has some really, really good principles. His whole thing is he hates debt of any kind. He hates credit cards. He says, if you can't pay off your credit card at the end of the month, or actually just cut credit cards completely. I say if you can't pay off by the end of the month, don't, don't struggle with that temptation because you'll get interest. But he just says, cut them up. Use cards. Use, I'm sorry, use a debit card. Use cash. Because when you have that access to instant money, free money, in air quotes, for some people that can be a temptation. And it could be a way where you can't control your expenses. Last thing I want to talk about tonight, saving money. Um, the scripture says to save for a rainy day, save for a calamity. Um, in middle school, we were asked what kind of animal we wanted to be. I don't know, some language arts project. And people were saying, you know, a lion, a cheetah, a falcon. And I had just recently seen a TV show that said an ant can lift up to 10 times its own body weight. I thought that was the coolest thing in the world. So I stood up thinking I'm a little disheveled, and I was like, I want to be an ant. I got called ant boy for like the rest of the year. Not ant man. This was, it was ant boy. But I was like, no, you guys don't understand. They could pick up. No, 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 ant boy. But, hey, in Proverbs 6, 8, it says, the ant prepares for winter. The ant prepares her bread in summer and gathers her food in harvest. So see, I knew something. I knew something. I just couldn't explain it at the time. Um, we see that there are seasons of prosperity in the gospel and in, in, in Scripture. Joseph, for example, when there were those years of the fattened calf um, or the fat cows, right? Uh, he had the dream and he, he interpreted it. He stored up the grains in the silos and he kept um, the, the, the grain in there for hard times. And then came the famine. It's wise to do these things. It's wise to save up. Practically speaking, in terms of money, how much should I have uh, saved up? Well, that depends. You know, as, as you get more in your careers and families and stuff, I don't know. It depends. The general rule is like two, three months worth of income, right? Just to have it in there as, as a rainy day fund. Um, but that's, that's up to everyone's discretion. But the point is, have something, you know? It's wise to do so. Start saving even now for, for your retirement. Start saving for when you're older. Listen, you're not too young to start saving. You are absolutely not too young. Here's a quick little math, uh, math equation. If you put $100 a month, yeah, I love this, it's like I'm a professor. If you put $100 a month in what's called an S&P 500 index funds. Don't worry about it. It's just like, a, a, you know, you put money into it and it buys like a fraction of a share in other stocks, whatever. But it's, 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 it's out there. They typically return 12% per year. So if you put $100, you get 12% or, yeah, 12% of $100, you get $112, right, in that year. But let's just be conservative and say 10% per year. Let's just you know, not get too crazy. If you start at the age of 18, by the age you're 65, if you put $100 a month, how much money do you think you have? How much? 
More than 100. Excellent. I like this guy. More than 100. $1.2 million. $1.2 million from 100 bucks a month at a very conservative rate of interest. That's just a small little example. And of course, guys in control of that, anything could happen. But even at a young age, the more you could put now, the more you could square away and put in somewhere that kind of gains you money with compound interest, it can save you in the long run. Okay, so that save for old age. And here's what's interesting. Save for your children. Now, here's what I mean by this. Scripture has a principle in Proverbs 13, 22 that says, a person who handles their finances with wisdom and integrity leaves an inheritance to his children's children. In other words, live your life of, of, of wealth and money in such a way that by the time you have grandkids, you have something to give them. That's the principle here is you should be spending in such a way and saving in such a way and accumulating such a way to that you have something for your grandkids. Even if you don't give it to them, you should live in a way as if you could. Here's the, 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 just to put a bow on all of this for tonight. Seek wisdom, not wealth. I know we spend a lot of time talking about wealth, but the most important thing is to seek wisdom. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. Proverbs 8 with verse 10 says, the wisdom is better than jewels and all desirable things cannot compare to her, cannot compare to wisdom. Remember that Christ paid all of your debts and paid all of my debts. We could talk about wealth, we could talk about money, but if we don't talk about the fact that without Jesus, everything else is meaningless, then we're just accumulating paper, and we can't take it with us. You never see hearses go to the funeral, um, go to the graveyard with an armored car behind them full of money, right? You can't take it with you. You can give it to other people. You can give it to, to God, but once you leave here, that's it. The most important thing is to remember, to seek the wisdom of God, First Corinthians told us that the wisdom of God is Jesus. It's found in him. It's, everything is meaningless without Jesus. So I'd like for us to stand. And Lord, we thank you for this evening. And we thank you for your wisdom, God, found in your son, Jesus Christ. Lord, many of us are at the start of our careers, at the start of our relationships, and we're looking at how to live a life that is wise, how to live a life that is uh, responsible, how to make money, how to save money, how to spend money. Lord, even as we leave from here, help us be responsible. Help us to be good stewards of what you've given to us and to remember that we shouldn't pursue wealth for wealth itself, but pursue wisdom. And Lord, you said, first, we should seek the kingdom of God and everything else will be given to us. We thank you, Jesus, for your wisdom. We thank you for paying our debt that we were not able to pay. And we ask, God, that we live a life of humbleness and thankfulness in whatever we have and learn to be content. In the name of Jesus, amen. Amen and amen.